Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We're chatting about U.S. soccer. We're chatting about Sam Mewis. We're chatting about all things NWSL on a news and notes episode. Hello, if you're joining us live in the chat, we miss you. It feels like it's been forever. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, NWS analyst and a broadcaster for CBS Sports. This is Attacking Third. Good morning, Lisa. It's been a while, and I got to let everybody know. I got to give you your time to shine. It's it's Sunday. Are we talking birds? Well, Sunday's past us. Monday's past us. How you feeling, buddy? Sandra, you know, it, it's it's Tuesday, but we're still calling it Victory Tuesday. Uh, Victory Monday rolls right into Victory Tuesday. It's it's uh, it's a good time to be in Philadelphia, uh, but I've already like hit that hump. Well, I mean, I'm okay. going to be honest, Sunday night, I was nervous. I was like, OK, we did it. We won. We're going to the Super Bowl. But um, yeah, it's just it's nerve wracking almost. I mean, the but the, OK, so here's a really good stat for you. There have been four teams that have blown out back-to-back playoff games by 24 points or more. All The Philadelphia becomes the fourth team to do that. The three prior teams have all won the Super Bowl. So I, Eagles are looking pretty good right now. I love that you have, like, stats ready yeah. for your birds. <laughs> I love it. Listen, look, I had I had to – Give the spotlight to you for a little bit. I I I was texting you. We were text tweeting, texting through it. I was like, I hope uh, you know they get a win so that we get a, a happy Lisa Roman on a three yeah. when we do uh, reconnect. Uh, yeah, if if you're into that, look, listen, drop a bird. It in was the chat. either gonna be smiles or tears today. Whatever drop, happened, and so drop it's a good those day, little yeah. bird emojis in the chat if you're thrilled for Lisa. You don't have to be thrilled. Yes. For Lisa. Thrilled for Lisa. Throw some birds in the chat uh, if you're joining us live on YouTube. Um, yeah, I couldn't wait to to get on to this live with you 
and chat and, uh, you know, sort of share that energy with everybody who joins us in the morning, we, which we appreciate as always. We're going to go through a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of news, a lot of notes uh, across the game here. Um, but, but before we did that, I just want to remind everyone, uh, make sure that you engage in the chat, make sure you leave us a like or, uh, or a review, leave us, leave us a, leave us a little note, subscribe to us. That stuff helps us out so much, uh, whenever, uh, we are doing content here at attacking third. If you leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, that helps out. Make sure you hit subscribe youtube.com slash attacking third. You can always get exclusive USWNT content previews, recaps, interviews right here with us on a three so let's get into it maybe that's where we start we start with some of that united states women's national team content lisa because amongst all of the news and notes that we've got to chat a little bit about probably one of the biggest ones coming out of u.s soccer making an announcement of detailed plans for implementation of sally yates uh 12 participant safety recommendations so we're getting i guess what can be referred to as those next steps. So back in late uh, October 2022, U.S. Soccer's uh, Independent Commissioned Investigative uh, Report with Sally Q. Yates dropped uh, all into uh, prior allegations of uh, sexual misconduct and abuse within women's professional soccer. It was a very long, difficult, hefty report, uh, difficult to read at times. It's something that we've been co- had been covering, I think, over the past 18 months or so. And post uh uh, publishing or announcement of that report, there was also that's that's sort of uh, what comes next, right? So we had we saw U.S. Soccer put a few immediate uh, things out to sort of address uh, what uh, all of the findings that had been reported. But since then, uh, I think everyone was looking for that real next step in terms of what was going to actually be, you know, the official next step. So we've got a lot of different things that are implementing. They're implementing essentially all 12 of the recommendations from the Sally Yates investigation. The program is going to include safety training, annual verification of background and contact information, uh, background checks, compliance with the new program will be a multi-year journey. It's going to be the first ever piloted by U.S. soccer staff at select members before expanding uh, to U.S. soccer licensed coaches and referees, and then later on to all adult participants. So there's there was a lot. I mean, we're talking about 12 recommendations here. Um, so there was a lot to, to get through. But I think there were a lot of little things in the buildup to announcing all uh, implementing all 12 of these next steps that U.S. soccer was already trying to go ahead and, and implement. I mean, at one point, um, you know, if you're someone who has followed us for a while, we've had Daniel Slayton on the show with us before mm-hmm. on attacking third. Um, she is someone that has is now been involved in some of the task force uh, uh, forces and everything with with U.S. soccer sort of post investigation results, uh, hearing her chat about um those next steps on the show is, is very, very fascinating because I think that's the era in which we're leaning into now. There's a lot of um, a lot of former players getting back into the space, you know, players who have gone through, you know, a lot of things themselves or have teammates who have um, in sort of talking about what, you know, helping and having a hand in, in shaping what they want the next era of women's football to, to be in the United States. Um, Mana Shim also, you know, being yeah. named as, part of the safety task force. So there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts in these. And so 
everybody loves uh, an infographic <laughs> for sure. So that's very, very helpful uh, to, to have those as well. Um, but I think within, within all of these, Lisa, is, is there anything in particular that maybe stood out for you? Was there something that you were just like, this is, this is an intriguing component, like right here. I think the timeline, first of all, is one thing that kind of stood out to me because the, the initial report and the results of the Sally Q Yates investigation dropped about three months ago. And, um, Maybe I'm a bit pessimistic on the productivity of large companies, um, and I probably am, because the fact that U.S. soccer could drop something three months ago and say, we're going to work to make a lot of these changes and we're going to put things in place, it's a lot easier said than done to get a, a board of directors that are, are focused solely on safe sport to hire the correct people in the role. And, and you talked about Mana Shim being one of those people hired to fill a role of the safety task force to have someone like a Danielle Slayton who is brought on to be a leader of um, these various things, implementing the committee chair as to this Yates investigation, and then to come out uh, within three months of plans to implement these 12 step safety implications. Because after the results dropped and there were 12 steps, some of them, it was like, okay, yeah, this is easy to implement. Like, you, you start <laughs> looking into the background of every person that's currently hired or, or in position of power or in a role within U.S. soccer and all of the branches below. But some of these other steps that were recommended by Sally Yates are much more difficult to implement. So the fact that within a, a three-month turnaround before the MLS season gets kicked off, before the NWSL season gets kicked off, that – U.S. soccer has uh, announced these detail plans. That's the first thing that I was like, okay, yeah. hey, they're, they're moving. They're working. They're working behind the scenes because um, if it took a little bit longer, I probably wouldn't have been that surprised. It just takes a long time for gears to turn it with so many different moving parts. But uh, another asset of this and factor of everything that was detailed in this is uh, one of the things that stood out to me is that um, these proposed amendments um, are going to U.S. soccer's pro league standards, meaning that it is going to go throughout every single professional soccer league affiliated with U.S. soccer. That's the MLS, the NWSL, the USL, the NASL, the North American Soccer League, the NISA, the National Independent Soccer Association. Every single one of these associations and leagues are going to have to fall under the exact same protocol. Um, to me, that stood out because a, a lot of these uh, the reason for this stemmed in the NWSL and, and stemmed from a lack of resources, a lack of human resources for these players, a, a lack of believing these women and, and making sure that they are trusted. And the fact that U.S. soccer then said, OK, if it's if it's happening here, it's happening everywhere. And it doesn't matter if you're in the NWSL or the MLS or the USL. We want to make sure our players are protected and everyone feels safe going to work every day. So they made it universal across all of their leagues and everything that U.S. soccer governs that um, and some of the the bullet points that they proposed in there were some things that were I was like we still don't have this like a, a human resources yeah. department for every single 
association in every single branch. Okay, that's that's great. That um, they they need to have a dedicated human resources person. They have to have safeguarding the reports. They also have to have player feedback sur- surveys annually. Those are some of the things that they implemented. Uh, but pretty cool that they did it across all four uh, of the leagues under U.S. Soccer. I mean, that stood out to me. What about you when you when you read all of this and you had to digest it and and kind of rewrite it all for CBS and and what you do? Is there anything that you kind of kept coming back to and thinking about? You know, I'm, I'm with you in terms of, you know, seeing that these are these are 12 recommendations that are going to be implemented like in multiple leagues and, and different facets. I mean, because when you look at the 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 different tiers of of soccer within the United States, you have like those premier tiers, which is like considered like, you know, MLS or NWSL and then all these other secondary tiers as well. And it sort of makes sense. You're just like, yes, you're going to want to have these things across Mm -hmm. the board to ensure that there's safety for everyone at all levels. So I'm with you on that, but there are other things within it that are, were really, really intriguing for me. Like the, this, this, just the concept of something like no, um, uh, NDAs, no non-disclosure agreements. Yeah. Uh, something that really, really stood out to me, um, in a good way. It it made me happy to see that that was something that they addressed specifically. Because yep. even though there were very, not only multiple but very long and thorough investigations uh, into various allegations of abuse, harassment, sexual misconduct, um, specifically. Uh, in, in women's pro soccer, something that kept coming up, unfortunately, within these very long and stressful moments was this these concepts of, of these ND, uh, NDAs that there were uh, hiccups. I guess we'll just refer to them as hiccups uh, that were taking place within these investigations, right? You had the investigators, you know, saying in in the uh, public release of the findings that there were areas and moments of time that unfortunately there wasn't always cooperation with spe- with specific teams, whether it was Portland Thorns or Chicago Red Stars or Racing Louisville FC. And yeah, I Racing Louisville. Racing stands out specifically with these NDAs because yeah. there was something they kept referring to these NDAs as something that they were on, it was because of those things that they were unable to perhaps fully participate in, in, in the manners in which they, they th- themselves even wanted to participate. Right. Baloney. But I'm looking at something <laughs> like that and I'm just kind of like, I'm happy to see that that's something that yes. they addressed within mm-hmm. these 12 recommendations. So it's saying like, you know, in terms of, in, in terms of having something like non-disclosures or non-disparagement agreements, right? That is something that you can that we can look back at now in all of these investigations and sort of see how that connects to uh, you know the possible allegations of of abuse. Um, and so to sort of take a look at that and address that and in, and ensure that there's you mm-hmm. know they want to make sure that there's all these resources for players uh, and staff moving forward to be able to, you know, report the the things that that they go through uh, in a respectful, uh, private, safe manner, um, I think is, is important. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a, again, it's, it's, there's a lot of different things within all of this and, they're obviously everything's out on a press release. I would encourage yeah. folks to thumb through it when, uh, whenever uh, they and, can. 
Um, they also talk about at the end of the press release, um, uh, reiterating that their U.S. soccer wants to have transparency throughout yeah. this, throughout everything that they're implementing through things moving forward. And I know that seems so obvious. And so, uh, of course, you have to have transparency, especially in today's age with social media and how quickly things uh, regurgitate around and get moved around the space. But I, I think it's important that they are saying that. And and like it's almost like an accountability check on U.S. soccer that they put it at the end of their report that, hey, we're committed to ongoing transparency and keeping players, U.S. soccer membership, and the public regularly updated on the process of these safety effects like efforts, because that's something that they didn't have to say, right? We, as public, I think sometimes we expect transparency and when we don't get it, we're flabbergasted, but this is um, something that they're kind of holding themselves accountable to and saying, yeah, we're going to continue to be transparent about what we're doing, the steps we're taking and and how we're implementing all of this. Um, like they were, I mean, yeah, like you said, go read through this people that are really interested in it because it's fascinating. Some of the little details that they put in here and, and within the release, um, that U.S. soccer just put out the other day, they actually go back and highlight the 12 Yates recommendations by number. They go one, two, three, all the way to 12. And then within those, they add bullet points as to what exactly U.S. soccer is doing to um, put those recommendations into place. I also just think it's like a, just a really, uh, I guess, a sort of transition out of this and into to NWSL stuff that we'll chat about in a moment, but it's just really interesting to sort of see all of this, all these things sort of coming out and, and, and seeing U.S. soccer navigate their part of it and seeing U NWSL navigate their part of it, that um, it's an important thing to note about the transparency because it's, it almost sort of feels, I guess, for lack of a better word, refreshing. It's, it's like, it's something that maybe we didn't necessarily uh, assume that you would get like as, as in the public, you know, sort of just sort of all of these, um, these updates and, and, and findings and reports and, and next steps um, with the league themselves, you know, issuing out corrective actions based on, their own 30 uh, third party investigations that, that come to play. And then not only issuing these corrective a actions, but like putting out the information alongside of them. Like there, these were the allegations that were brought forth An invest investigation took place. These are the things that were, uh, you know, found within the reports. These are, and these are also the things that were uh, yeah. unsubstantiated. That's also an important part. Um, and based on all of those things, uh, here are the further corrective actions. And like to sort of see that come out, like whether it's on the league side over the last, really the last month or so, um, or the U.S. soccer side implementing um, the uh, the safety recommendations. Uh, it does. It just sort of feels a little bit different than from um, things and, and how business was conducted basically in, in, in years past. So I will, I guess maybe for lack of a better word, refreshing is, is, the, is the one that comes uh, to mind. But it, of course, as always, it's going to be something that we uh, keep an eye on and, and remain uh, watchful of and, and uh, make sure that um, we talk about it and discuss it, uh, you know, whenever uh, appropriate. So um, we'll see, uh, hopefully, now that there are these appropriate things in place. We talked about that a little bit uh, on a previous episode, Lisa, how important it is to mm -hmm. uh, allow these things to sort of uh, exist and do their due process. Um, there's sometimes that comes with it, like all of this stuff when it gets announced. There's also a little bit of that energy where it's just like, oh, my gosh, like, here we go again. Not again. This is exhausting. Right. The burnout. <laughs> 
so folks, I guess, if they're uh, fans of women's soccer, if they watch the, the league or, or U.S. women's national team. But it's so important to note that, unfortunately, for decades, a lot of resources and policies and things like that didn't exist. So when these things kind of come out in a small way, they should be celebrated, even though the way in which they have now arrived has been very, very painful. Um, so hopefully moving forward, now that there are a ton of these resources, uh, you know, there will be yeah. all the appropriate avenues and channels to ensure that there will, you know, be uh, safe places uh, within women's soccer. So uh, let's keep chatting about all of the news and notes that have occurred over the past few days. There's a lot to get through, folks, so please stay with us. We'll be back right after a quick break. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's keep it moving. Let's talk about some more stuff that's going to chat the United States women's national team. It's official. The 2024 CONCACAF W Gold Cup will be played in the United States. It will include four Gormable nations and eight CONCACAF teams. Exciting times. Uh, listen, I would say maybe around 2021, late August, CONCACAF announced uh, a lot of different reformatting of some of the uh, tournaments and programs that already existed within CONCACAF, rebranded CONCACAF W. There's a lot of cool stuff that included qualifiers to the World Cup qualifiers, and it's also going to include the Women's Gold Cup. And uh, exciting times. I think people may not realize this already, Lisa, but because of how things are broken down, with the uh, four Carnival Nations and eight CONCACAF teams, there's actually already about five teams confirmed mm -hmm. for this tournament. Because if you are, you know, someone who likes to pay attention and, you know, be very diligent with your updates. And you know what? Shout out to or you like, watch us. Or we, you watch we us. Or you watch us. And I was going to say, or like, shout out to you if you'd like to read, because I feel like I've been, I wrote about this like all last summer, Lisa. But when the United States Women's National Team won the CONCACAF W Championship, not only did they qualify for the 2023 World Cup, they qualified for the 2024 Paris Olympic Games, and they clinched their spot in this 2024 Gold Cup. So the United States are not only hosting it, they're playing in it. That happened. We're going to find out another CONCACAF team. Um, mm -hmm. It was initially slated for September. Now we're hearing some things that this game uh, might move to February. But Canada and uh, Jamaica are supposed to uh, play do a two-leg playoff to find out who gets that second Olympic yeah. spot for CONCACAF. So either Canada or Jamaica will be another CONCACAF team 
that participates in the Gold Cup. And then there will be sort of a, a what's referred to as road to the Gold Cup. And that will be a qualifying process to name the remaining CONCACAF teams. But we've also got four Bowl teams already, Lisa. We already know who's going to be joining us. Yeah, I love this announcement. I love everything that's, that has gone into it. Um, it's super cool that it, it's happening and it's coming right to America. I think that's really cool and really special. The way that Comi Bowl and CONCACAF made this announcement, signed this agreement to play together um, is is very cool. It, it shows a level of... A partnership right across these confederations to create this other competition that's coming because really that's that's all we want we just want more competition before the confederations like between them that's all i want to see i, I want to see more national teams competing right and friendlies are great they're fine but tournaments like this that bring together two different confederations um that promote incredible competition uh the way that we can get other teams more recogni recognition so uh, this is a this announcement came kind of in tandem with the men's team and the women's team but i i want to focus on the women's side of it a little bit more because this is an opportunity for different confederations and nations to compete at, at an incredibly high level right in the united states to be able to play in front of really big fans and kind of grow their fan bases right within their own confederation i think that's something to me that's that is super super cool because um like you said that the gold cup we already have some qualifications and some teams that are going to get in there but it, it's only going to grow and, and i think this competition um i i'm so excited for it this announcement happened i feel like so long ago but maybe not we it's a couple days ago at this point i've been like waiting to talk to you about it I feel like we've been chatting about it in like waves. Like it keeps like announcing like keeps mm -hmm. coming like in waves. Like I, yeah. I I don't know if you remember, but I'm gonna throw it back. I remember like chatting with you about it like like I guess we could say two years ago now because we're 2023. Yes. But I remember like when they first dropped in like August 2021. I think we chatted we chatted with like Karina mm -hmm. LeBlanc about it at the time because she was in a different role. She was not GM of the Thorns at the time. She was with uh yeah. CONCACAF and sort of you know really kind of the face and leading the way on, on these kind of new like announcing these new initiatives or these this new re, these new restructurings mm -hmm. and um this is our again. This it feels like a lifetime ago because we're talking about August 2021. But not only did it get announced then, but then you have 2022 where we had like that epic summer of soccer. And so you're talking about all of the the different formats and what's going to happen after Concacaf champion and what's going to you know sort of be on the horizon. And one of those things is yes, of course, the Olympics. And there's going to be uh, another team that has to qualify for that. But there's also going to be the the Gold Cup, and I think that that is so exciting when we're talking about some of how these things are reformatted. I mean, even leading up to into the the World Cup qualifier, the actual Concacaf W Championship, you and I getting to take a look during February 2022 and April 2022 at all of these other uh, Concacaf nations who were competing in different phases of qualification to participate in the actual CONCACAF W championship in July. That's so exciting. And all of that stuff is so important when we're talking about building up soccer and, and within the regions and within these uh, specific programs. And it's very, very cool to see the gold cup is going to sort of mirror that a little bit as well. So while yes, there are some nations that have technically already qualified 
for this specific tournament, there's still going to be like another qualification process yeah. to sort of weigh out and weigh out the remaining teams. Yeah, there's another like play-in opportunity. So with Comey Bowl and um, the teams that are going to be participating, it was based on the Women's Copa America. So Brazil ended up winning that. They were the champion with Colombia um, losing to them in the final. And then Argentina and Paraguay are, are the other four teams. I am like so stoked to watch Brazil, right? Like that's, I, I they won, right? They won. That's why they qualify for this and, and they're coming. What about you? When you look at some of these nations or maybe even some of the ones that can still qualify to get into this tournament. What nations are you looking at? Look, I'm I'm already really excited for that that one off or that two off. I guess because again, it's a two legged series. But with with Canada and Jamaica, I'm really curious yeah, about who's gonna come out on. Listen, love the reggae girls. We love to talk about uh, Jamaica and watch the games and. They can really, really, really take it to teams. I'm looking not just at the talent that they have on the pitch, but the, what they have on the bench. And Lauren Donaldson is a head coach, sort of being able to be that tactician and kind of take a look at the opposition in front of them and present a good game plan for the players. And then they go out there and just go ahead and execute it. So I'm very excited to sort of see the the matches between, between the two teams, especially because it is going to be a first leg and a second leg. Right. So there's an, a, a unique opportunity here uh, for, for both of these teams. Um, but I mean, you know, we're looking at the teams that are already in it and and I'm with you. I think Brazil stands out. Um, yeah. Listen, whenever there's multiple opportunities for the United States women's national team and Brazil to go head to head, I'm a big fan for it. So the pos- the fact that there's not only going to be the She Believes Cup that takes place <laughs> in February. Right. It's coming up. We're going to have to start talking about that soon, too. Not only is there the She Believes Cup, but the the possibility that there might be another uh, another tournament where they could face each other. Just and Canada, too, because Canada doesn't she believe as well. Yeah, just in the next year is very, very exciting to mm-hmm. me. So uh, I'm absolutely keeping an eye on that. But you know what? Uh, look, don't sleep on Colombia. Um, nope. You know, this is, this is a team that went head-to-head. Uh, with Brazil and Copa America Femenina, you know, in terms of, you know, being the the, the queens of, of South America. Um, it was the, those two in, in the championship final. And um, I'm excited for, for to, to watch Colombia as well. I'm excited because these types of tournaments not only provide an opportunity for national teams to go head to head, for a lot of people, they provide a first glimpse and for a lot of people who maybe find themselves um, as casual fans of even just the United States women's national team, perhaps you're someone who just says, hey, like I'm watching the national team when they're in tournaments. So that's like an Olympics or a World Cup. There's an opportunity for people to get introduced um, to a lot of other programs and to a lot of other players. Uh, and that is what always stands out for me whenever these types of tournaments come around. So uh, it's going to be exciting to see the qualification process and, and see who else right. slides in there to represent for CONCACAF. Could we see, I don't know, maybe Mexico as well, Lisa? Because there's some news coming out of Mexico too that we got to chat about really quickly while we're talking about tournaments and opportunities to take a look at national teams. Uh, Mexico's federation talked a little bit about the Revelations Cup. So this is something that has taken place prior in Mexico, but it's typically been like a U-20 kind of men's specific tournament. And this is really exciting because within this announcement, they said that for the first time ever, they are going to include 
their senior Mexican women's national team. So they will be the hosts of this tournament. It's going to be taking place in Leon during February. So we've got yet another tournament coming up uh, to keep an eye on in, in February. Uh, it's going to be and Mexico. And they're all at the same time, of course. Yeah, and they're all <laughs> going to be in the same international window, y'all. So make sure you have multiple devices to take a look at some of these games. But Mexico will be the host, and they will play host to Colombia, Nigeria, and Costa Rica. It's very exciting. Again, sort of this what seeing this news drop just ahead of the Gold Cup confirmations. Uh, you've got your mix of CONCACAF nations, and you've got Colombia representing Cormebol, but you've also got Nigeria. This is another team I feel like that we had talked a little bit about during 2022. I'm very excited to see um, these four teams go head to head. We'll probably have to take a look and see where and how we can sort of take a look at some of these games. That's the other part with all yeah. these international tournaments taking place in all different areas of the globe. Um, we're going to have to maybe try to find some creative ways uh, to keep I, an eye on these games. We're going to need like many, many screens, many, many cups of coffee because we have Arnold Clark cup. We have, she believes cup. We have uh, the women's revelations cup in Mexico happening. You know we what? also have the inner inner confederate or inner confederation play-ins for the women's world cup up lisa i think we're, we're doing something here i think we're content planning at the same time that we're talking about it i listen it's about to be february okay valentine's day is around the corner we might have to do an episode talking about here are all the tournaments that are yeah. coming up in february listen everybody put hearts in the chat if you want me and lisa to talk about february tournaments let us know we want to provide for the people uh so just let us know uh more news about the FIFA Women's World Cup. I can't believe we're about six months out already from this, Lisa. But very exciting times. Uh, the tickets are already, like, flying. Like, people are going <laughs> to be, like, getting through the turnstiles here at these games because the original opening match for the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup was set to be played at Sydney's new Alliance Stadium, which is uh, seats 42,000. 500 people but uh now more than 100,000 fans are going to be able to attend the the two games on the first match day of the tournament so more bodies more eyeballs you'll love to to see it yeah this is pretty cool i, I like this announcement out of uh fifa and and kind of all the updates they're doing it's there has been so much hype about this tournament, right? It's the freaking World Cup. It's the Women's World Cup. There's a lot of pressure on the United States. But I, I think it's really cool to see how many people are buying tickets to go. And a lot of them are native, right, to New Zealand, to Australia. It's these host countries and, and their fans that are the ones showing up mostly and, and buying these tickets, saying that they want to support their host country. I, I think that's really, really cool. The fact that... It happens so far out from the World Cup, too. I know we talk about it's only six months away, less than six months away. It's right around the corner. But the fact that these tickets are selling out now and FIFA felt the need to move the stadium so it's bigger and they could fit more fans, almost double the amount of fans that were going to be allowed to watch. And now it continues to grow. I mean, this is how you grow the sport. This is how you grow the game. It's it's really cool. Um, 
sell out the stadium, buy your tickets. How cool would that be to go to an opening match of the World Cup? You get to see the opening ceremonies. You get to watch everything that happens. You get to be in the beautiful country of New Zealand. I I think this is super special, um, and I love that. I I don't think they're ever going to move it again, though. So sell out the stadium, and then you get to be part of the sellout crowd that's there. Uh, I'm so excited to uh, see big crowds in the World Cup. It's uh, one of the greatest times of the year, and uh, it will be happening this year in just six months. I keep having to like say that to remind myself how close it is. Uh, we wanted to take another special moment to remember Grant Wall because it's also been included in some of the news and notes uh, across the cycle recently. He's been named the recipient of the 2023 Colin Jose Media Award. Uh, Grant Wall dedicated his wife to growing the game, and he, as you all know, left an incredible legacy on American soccer. So this award bestowed to him by the uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, when I saw that, it was um, it was very nice to see. I was just like, this is this is very cool to see yeah. that uh, Grant is uh, still, even to this day, um, leaving an, uh, leaving an impact uh, on the game. Um, there was also the announcements of retirement. Uh, Gene Betty announces their retirement from international football. Scottish legend retiring with 24 goals and 144 caps for Scotland's national team. So congrats on an amazing international career. Uh, we also chatted about, I feel like that's, that's, we're getting into that window of time where we chat about a lot of retirements. Yeah. Um, in our previous episode, we chatted about Darren Jenkins In our previous episode, we chatted about, um, Aaron McLeod and Gunny John's daughter uh, moving uh, to, to Iceland, but coming out of that announcement as well, Aaron McLeod also announcing retirement as well. So congratulations in order uh, to, to her as yeah. well. Let's talk about maybe uh, let's talk about some rumors, Lisa. You want to talk about some rumors? I love let's talking talk about, about rumors, let's, let's either promoting them or just squashing them. <laughs> Alexa play Fleetwood Mac rumors. Um, no, don't do that. We don't want to get dinged on YouTube. Um, look, Let's talk about expansion. I think that's where we have to talk. That's been that's sort of been the big word that has been um, circulating around headlines with the news cycle. Uh, and let's not only talk about the rumor, but let's squash some of this stuff, Lisa. People come to us sometimes to get to get updated on things, and, and maybe we have to remind folks of, of the timeline of events here. Uh, NWSL, there's uh, expansion chatter. Once again, there's always expansion chatter going on. Uh, we have really been talking about a number of teams that could enter the mix for the league because the league and its commissioner has talked a little bit about expansion in the past. Uh, there has been the timeline of events that we have heard about, which uh, the targeted time was 2024. And not only was that the targeted uh, season, but they also said, the league said, and the commission said, listen, it's going to be two teams in 2024. So when that kind of comes out, everyone's like, hey, who's going to be the team's What's it going to look like? The other side of that is the, the the actual markets that are interested, right? So we heard mm-hmm. most recently during the 2022 NWSL Championship Final, uh, when Lisa and I went on out there to, to cover things for, for A3 and CBS Sports, one of the things that happened in this week-long wonderful event was a bit of a state of the league by NWSL Commissioner Jessica Berman course things like expansions as always uh, asked about in these media settings and she sort of opened up um her state of 
of the of the league kind of addressing that off the bat said hey that there were at the time this was october 2022 at the time there were 82 uh proposal bids interested groups um and that after that deadline passed to get your official proposal in that there realistically would be anywhere from five to ten market cities that they were going to sit down and have some more serious conversations with and since october of 2022 the deadline passed in november obviously 2023 has arised we also were in philly Lisa's hometown to cover the draft, another state of the league. Uh, they had narrowed down some things to expansion and those conversations are still ongoing. There has been no official announcement by the league in regards to who the uh, new cities are going to be, but there have been reports in Sportico since December, 2022 and a recent wall street journal report talking about expansion cities and who they are going to be narrowed down to. Uh, first of all, shout out to Sportico saying that it was going to be somewhere between uh, Utah, Tampa Bay, and Boston. And now Wall Street Journal uh, saying Boston, uh, Utah, and the Bay Area. So another shout out to Jeff Kasouf, uh, another one of our good colleagues uh, who is pretty much reported on Utah uh, being the next set to be the next expansion team for quite some time now. And again, if, if for folks who need the context of things, there used to be a Utah team yes. in NWSL. Once upon a time, there was a franchise called the Utah Royals. Now, unfortunately uh, they had uh, an ownership group that had allegations brought against them from, from players of, of, you know, racist, sexist, and toxic work environments. And in 2020, uh, the former owner of all of those entities uh, decided to enter into a sale process. Now, unfortunately, that also included things like academies, uh, youth academies, and the in MLS side in Real Salt Lake, not just the Utah Royals. So in a transfer in a transfer, a transferring of, of ownership, uh, in came Kansas City. And what happened within this transferring was there was a, they were allowed to transfer the the roster to Kansas City and, and, and as an as a new expansion side. And in return, Utah would be able to retain marketing licensing the Utah Royals FC brand, mm -hmm. and they would be able to retain all that with the intention of launching a league in the near future, I think no later than 2024. So because yes. of all of those ties to Utah, there has been a lot of source reporting ever since their departure, really, from the mm -hmm. league about when are they going to come back? Will they come back if and when and how is that going to look like? And sort of going from 2020 to 2022 and now here in 2023, we're starting to get this final picture of what expansion cities are going to look like, but there's three being thrown around. And I think that's where folks are sort of taking a look at and saying like, how is this going to work out? So I think the way it's going to work out is there's still going to be two teams in 2022 yeah. <laughs> and there will possibly be a third, but that team will not come into the mix until post 2024. Yeah. 
that's the biggest rumor we wanted to squash on here. There will not be three teams joining the NWSL in 2024. Two. When Jessica Berman, uh, commissioner of the league, talked so much about how she wanted to grow this team, how there is an appetite for the NWSL across many, many markets. Uh, As you mentioned, hundreds of applicants saying, hey, we want to join the league. There are so many different factors that come into play as to if you're even eligible to be one of those teams. And Jessica Berman was very frank about it. She was like, ball is in our court because we have the upper hand as the league to to understand um, where the best markets are. And she said, we are in control of how fast and how quickly we grow this league right now. And we want to make sure we do it right. And so that means two teams coming in 2024 and, and then the continued growth from there. She also said there's no cap on how many teams the, the league is looking to have. It's not like they have their eyes set on this number of 14 and that's it. They're going to stick with 14 or anything like that. It's By no means is that the case at all. I, I could see the NWSL continuing to grow and then it becomes split into divisions, right? You've got your Western division, you've got your Eastern division, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me right now, it seems pretty obvious according to all of the reporting that Utah will be a team joining this league very, very shortly. Uh, again, it hasn't officially been announced yet by the league. And I also think uh, San Francisco, the Bay Area, is the other top contender for this position um, based on the investments that they have and the work that they've done and um, everything coming out of it like that. I mean, the investors that they do have, right? It's Danielle Slee and Ali Wagner, uh, Brandy Chastain, Leslie Osborne, I believe is the four former U.S. Women's National Team investors for the Bay Area. Um, these investors are, are working really hard. We, we actually did a great interview with them a bit ago about the Bay Area and why they want a team to come there. Um, and then after the reporting that happened most recently out of Sportico, I believe, it, it, Equalizer picked it up, Wall Street Journal, a bunch of people picked it up. It was said that Boston did a $50 million bid to get their name on the report and get in there. Personally, I think that that came out and that was reported and and that happened because Boston heard that Bay Area is going to get the team, not Boston. And Boston's trying to, you know, throw a couple (laughs) of extra dollar bills at the league and say, hey, get us in there. But I I mean, if you're asking me, Lisa Roman, my opinion, I think it's going to be Utah and San Francisco in 2024. That's it. Yeah, I think I think realistically, um, that's what we're going to see. In, in 2024, I, I look, I, I love a combo breaker. I, I love someone mm-hmm. um, coming into in, into the into the arena, and you hear their music go off, and you go, "Oh my God, that's so and so's music!" I'm here for it. Like yeah. if there if if there is a bidding ward for for multiple uh, markets to try to get a franchise in NWSL, that's yeah. only good for for the league. And I think it's important to sort of know. That, that sort of $50 million mark, because it's much different from what we're hearing with Utah, right? Targeting somewhere between 2 to $5 million. And I think yes, that you yes. have to go back. That's all the context that I was trying to provide for the show right now. And everybody listening is because of all of those, uh, all of the clauses that sort of existed uh, with Utah Royals in the past and, and their transition of ownership and maintaining uh, a sort of balance within within the league. You know, Kansas City kind of coming in the midnight hour of things uh, and saying, you know, we want a team in, in NWSL. We can enter, the, we want to enter this league as an expansion franchise. So um, 
it's very, very interesting to sort of see how things and the dominoes sort of keep falling because they haven't all completely settled into place. It's just sort of been one and one after uh, the other. But that, I think, is a really you could sort of see from Mm -hmm. 2020 now to 2023, how that valuation has just ballooned over time in the sh- and not just any kind of time, but we're talking about a three year span, maybe two and a half if we're, if we're being more right. specific. But, and, um, and the fact that the league is growing in twos, two California sides last year, two again in 2024, that's super promising too. Yeah. And I like that. Um, that according to some of the reporting that it's, it's, that the league is like, okay, we're, we're listening, you know, we're still listening yeah. to these things. They're enthusiastic about it. They are noticing that there are multiple strong bids, but that they still want to grow in a very specific way. And I think that that's also very important too, because while expansion chatter is like really, really exciting, we've mm-hmm. talked endlessly. It feels like about how this next era of the league is just incredibly transitional. We're just like in a very big transitional moment for this league right now. And the other side of all of this uh, expansion chatter, uh, I think that also comes with, it should be, you know, sustainability. So we're talking about, yes, exciting new markets, new cities, new teams, all that stuff is always going to be exciting, but there always has to be that conversation of sustainability that comes with it as well, because these, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a league that is entering a new era that, you know, you've got players with a player union, uh, a CBA that's in place. You've got, uh, you know, teams that are, you've got two teams right now, two founding teams that are looking for new ownership, right? Portland Thorns and Chicago Red Stars are, are looking to, to sell their, their, Prime, their former majority owners are, are looking for new, um, new, uh, new owners to come in and buy into their specific clubs already uh, in the league. So it's just like a very, very interesting time um, to sort of take a look at the landscape of the league and, and also talking about expansion. So uh, looking at the league moving forward, I think the possibility of having 14, 15 teams maybe as soon as 2025 is very, very exciting. But what I want to see after that is I want to see this league sustain itself. If it, if the goal is to have 15 teams in this new era, let's see what that looks like. uh, Totally. And if it is Utah, if it is Utah and if it is the Bay area, I'm with you in that you're, we're starting to see a shift in the actual uh, geographical Mm -hmm. map of the league and how heavy it's going to be on the West coast side of things versus the Midwest versus the East coast uh, side of things. So I think that that's something else that they're probably looking at, which is possibly why Boston is so intriguing to make a case. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I just think, you know, down the line, it really makes a case for a team in Philadelphia. I'm just going to put that out there. Just got to throw it out there. You know, just call them the birds. You don't have to call them anything. Just just call the just call it the Philly birds. No, no, and, we uh, already have a legendary team called the birds. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, that'll be another episode. Lisa names the potential <laughs> Philly Philly NWSL teams. Oh my goodness, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be uh, an A three show during the NWSL preseason if we still didn't talk about signings. But uh, Angel City, one of the teams that has yet to announce uh, their preseason roster. A lot of teams are dropping their preseason rosters right now. We're getting to see like 30, 35 players, 40 players on some of these preseason rosters. Um, But Angel City is still making moves because they announced that they signed Katie Johnson to a two-year deal. 
and uh, they announced her as a midfielder and forward option. So they're definitely trying to <laughs> they're definitely trying to make sure that they have bodies in certain areas of the pitch because uh, we had chatted about in the previous episode how Kari Bracaro is now a member of the Chicago Red Stars for uh, a trade. So, and of course, if you missed it, we had a great interview uh, with Orlando Pride's new vice president of soccer ops and general manager Haley Carter. Make sure you check out that episode. It was not just an interview. I promise you all it was a great conversation. Haley Carter, a former goalkeeper in the NWSL with Houston Dash for several years, now part of this new era of former players entering new roles in the league, whether it's at the executive level, administrative or coaching or technical staff roles. Um, So please check it out when you get a chance. But before we exit this episode, we need to talk about probably one of the biggest pieces of news to drop over the last few days. We unfortunately are talking about an injury update with Sam Mewis. Sam Mewis taking to her personal social media channels and putting out a statement about uh, really an update on her current timeline and injury. Um, She revealed that she had an additional surgery uh, on her uh, on her leg, and she will begin a rehab process closer to home, so that mm-hmm. she can continue to be supported by friends and family. And she also stated that she has no timeline for her return, and that she thanks everyone for the support and the well wishes. So, uh, a number of things I think in, in in this statement. Right, first of all, first and foremost, tough you really are just kind of like, God, like this has been sort of a a nagging ongoing thing for Sam Mewis. We're entering really a a new year of this for her. She, for people who don't remember, uh, Sam Mewis already had, I believe it was an arthroscopic uh, procedure that was done on her right D in, in, I believe post Olympics. So we're talking August, Mm -hmm. 2021. There was a trade that took place between North Carolina Courage and, and and Kansas City, and she found a new a new market, a new environment. And she was really um, eager to to get back to to playing after rehabbing, and um, she she, she played about two games. games. Yeah, she yeah. played in a couple of Challenge Cup games, and um, but unfortunately, forty five minutes each though, limited minutes. Yeah, yeah, this was coming off of like post rehabbing from that first surgery, which is smart. Like you're, you you want to build up a player coming off of of a rehab stint, um, but unfortunately was unable to kind of really come out of preseason and really kind of come out of the Challenge Cup. So she's unfortunately was shut down in an official capacity during. Uh, Kansas City's really their championship finals run. Um, I think there was always that possibility that folks were taking a look at and saying like, oh, maybe we'll maybe we'll see her later and maybe we'll see her later. And then I think very wisely, Kansas City and probably in in collaboration with Sam Mios were like, actually, let's put a statement out and let's actually we're going to we're going to shut you down for 2022. We We saw that drop late in late in the season. For Kansas City current and now this is the most recent update and I think with this we talk about it in a sense with not only does it what does it mean for Kansas City but obviously we talk about it in a, in a way and, and what does it mean for for the United States women's national team yeah I think uh first and foremost I my heart breaks for Sam it, it truly does because it 
this is her passion. This is her job. This is what she wants to do. She just wants to play. She even talked about that in her statement saying that, uh, it's been devastating for her to be away from soccer so long. And and that's one thing that I want to make sure we echo here at attacking third, right? Like best of luck, Sam, like you got this, keep your head down, keep grinding. I mean, it is so difficult to go through an injury or not be able to do what you love, um, no matter what. And then to be so publicly in the eye about it and have to give public updates about how you're doing in your recovery, especially when they're not uh, overwhelmingly positive updates. It's not like, Hey, I'm back training. I'm back. I'm, I'm touching a soccer ball again. We're doing these things. No, it's, it's not like that. So my heart breaks for her. And she even put in there in her statement out that, her last procedure was 2021. And I know we just talked about it being right after the Olympics, before the season started. But to think of it in that timeline, that she had a surgery in 2021 that she was trying to get back from and the struggles of that. And sometimes surgery doesn't go the way you plan. Sometimes your recovery doesn't go the way you're planned. Sometimes your body is just telling you things that you don't want to hear. And the fact that she is getting another surgery is, is positive. It means that there was an issue and she's trying to fix it. The doctors are trying to fix it. Um, I, I really commend her for her honesty and her transparency with people that are not owed anything to her recovery and what she's doing in the public eye saying that she doesn't have a timeline to return to soccer. And I can't imagine how difficult that was for her to wrap her head around, to understand, and then to verbalize for the public to hear. Um, but I think it's important for us here because we do break down soccer and we talk about the analytics of it to talk about what this means for Kansas City, a team that signed this player and got 90 minutes total out of her in, a cha- in two Challenge Cup games that um, it, it looks different for them. And, and of course, Kansas City has been in the know about Sam and where she's done. And, and perhaps hindsight is twenty twenty because now we understand a little bit more why Kansas City made so many moves for their midfielders. Vanessa DiBernardo, yeah. Morgan. Catral, Dabinia, it makes a lot of sense now that you know you're not going to get a Sam Lewis. Um, yeah, and you know, we had, right? when we were analyzing, when you and I were analyzing that stretch of the offseason, I guess technically we're still in it, but we're mm-hmm. kind of transitioning into preseason here now that players are reporting to market and we're getting these preseason rosters. But we chatted about that when these moves dropped, when the free agency frenzy was consuming all of us. Yeah. Um, and Kansas City was leading the way. And, and while we were very impressed by their offseason, while we felt like they were kind of winners of the offseason and by extension, the draft, um, there was still that question mark. It was just like, OK, well, where does Sam Mewis fit in here yeah. with a lot of these pickups, with a lot of these these draft picks, you know, and, and what is that going to look like? And um, all those questions that, that that kind of keep coming up when you have such a prolific player right? Who's been absent for an extended period of time. Um, obviously, I think when you put those two together, they're just like, okay, well, this makes sense. So I think in, in terms right. of Kansas City, it sort of feels like they were making sure that they had prepared to, to make sure that their team had options in the middle. But it was very, I thought it was good to sort of see in, in Kansas City current, when, when they dropped their preseason roster, I thought it was it was good to see that within it, they made a note specifically of about Sam Lewis saying that mm-hmm. they have bought out her previous contract. That's why she's not listed on the preseason roster, but they brought it out through 2023 in an effort to allow her to just focus, focus solely 
yeah. on on rehabbing and you know all of her um her new her new junior journey in front of her so uh i think that was important to know because i mean you're putting if you're putting out your preseason roster and you don't have one of the biggest names in soccer listed on there there's going to be even more questions right so i think that the timing of all this i think sort of made a lot of sense with right yes with their, them dropping their roster and then sam u.s making her announcement and as far as for me like what i think it means for the u.s women's national team again i think it's just more confirmation i think that was something else that you and i've been chatting about for quite some time we've had to follow this united states women's national team through a, a unique journey of, of absences uh, and injuries, players out of maternity, play, players uh, suffering season-ending injuries and, and making their way back. Um, and within that, we've had to, to navigate a, a, a World Cup uh, qualification process. We've we've heard a lot from Blacko Andonovsky, um, constantly talking about those injured players or those absent players. And for a very long time, Sam Mewis was was considered and sort of put in and spoken about by Andonovsky as part of that larger group of injured players who were unavailable for the team at the time. And he started to change the tune on that a little bit towards the end of the year and specifically within this January camp in New Zealand when he was asked about it specifically, kind of didn't really want to comment on a timeline for Mewis or her availability for the possibility of another World Cup. And now here we are a few days later with more confirmations of all these things. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be the next phase for the United States women's national team. What are they going to do now that they have that confirmation? I mean, now that the public has the confirmation, Vlako Adonofsky is known. He's been in talks with her, even in media availability. When people are asking him, hey, what's up with Sam? He says, hey, she's working on a recovery. We don't have a timeline. He's been Mm -hmm. saying we don't have a timeline for months because he didn't have a timeline. She doesn't have a timeline to return. And I think that the U.S. women's national team has been without Sam U.S. for 18 months, right? Since since the Olympics, essentially, um, because of her recovery and her rehabilitation. So it's, it's not like she's just all of a sudden out now and it's a scramble to find a replacement and to find a a fix in the midfield. Black Wanonofsky has been dealing with this and understanding Mm -hmm. that Sam U.S. is not going to be available for him as, as much as he wants, right. If at all available to him. So he's been finding other solutions, dropping Lindsay Horan back a little deeper. Most recently we saw Rose Lavelle dropping into that number eight role in the midfield to, to play that uh, little mix between a defensive and an attacking mm-hmm. midfielder. And I think that the solutions are there. I think this is more so for the fans that have held on to maybe a little bit of hope and said, Hey, Sam's going to be there. We are yeah. less than six months out from the world cup. Yeah. Even if she had a timeline that was three months back to touching the ball, oh like, I, I don't know like what you do at that point, because we're so close to a world cup. I think that for Sam, it's got to be focused on your recovery at this point, focus on getting your body back to being okay to, to everyday life. Right. That, you're not in pain daily, um, let alone playing soccer and playing 90 minute games every other day for a month and a half. So uh, best wishes to Sam for sure. I I think it does turn a little bit of a page for the U S women's national team, mainly the fans to say, let's focus on what we've got the roster that we have and, and Mm -hmm. what we can do and support. And I think we'll, we'll learn a lot more 
in that February window during yeah. She Believes when the United States gets another roster pick. They get really good, high-quality competition against Canada, Brazil, Japan, and that'll be the test. And I think what we see from the U.S. women's national team roster now moving forward is going to be it for the World Cup. Oh, 100%. They, they've are the coaching staff already making reference that they've uh, are narrowing down the pool even more. They had it at 40 now sort of coming out of this January camp. It's around 32 players that they're examining in the build up to the World Cup. Um, and I'm with you in terms of, you know, maybe turning a page for, for fans who have sort of been looking for updates and things like that. They have it now. So, uh, yeah, I think we're going to get some more answers in, in February, mm-hmm. specifically during the She Believes Cup. It's something that we're going to have to continue to keep an eye on and chat a little bit about what we think works, what we think doesn't work. Um, and that is uh, right around the corner. It's going to be here sooner than we think. So, But for now, best wishes to Sam Mewis. We hope that she has a great and speedy recovery. Um, she's been on with Attacking Third before and done interviews with us, and we appreciate her time and her professionalism as always. But that's going to be a wrap for all things on A3. Thank you everybody for joining us today and for listening to Attacking Third. Download, follow, listen to us anywhere you get your podcast. You can watch us too. Subscribe to us at youtube.com slash attacking third. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.